0: My name is Doug, one of the pastors for our church. And uh, you guys may remember, if you are here last week, we started a new series of messages, kind of a, a mini-series. And we're looking at uh, what, at the end of the day, we want to be able to say, that is City Light. That is who we are. We're looking at what are the passions that are thumping in our hearts. What are the core values that we really care about? What is the stuff that wakes us up in the morning, gives us a reason and a purpose to keep on breathing through another day? So last week, Gavin started us off, and he said that, you know, when we get down to it, the the innards of our innards, if you will, when we get there, what we want to find is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The good news that God saves sinners Through Jesus, that Jesus Christ, He died for our sins and now He lives in us through His Holy Spirit. We said that this is news, not advice. It's an announcement, a declaration of what God has already done for us in and through. Jesus. It's like a herald running back from the front lines of the battlefield to our little village, our little church, if you will, and that herald saying, hey, good news, we've won. Jesus Christ won the day. He set us free. He conquered our enemy. It is news. And we said that because of this gospel, this news, it means that in City Light, Jesus is always the hero. He's the hero in every sermon, song, conversation, meeting. Jesus is always our hero. And we also said that this gospel news, this message, it messes with all of us, right? So it messes with the good among us, like me and Mother Teresa. I'm just saying, I didn't quote that. That's what Gavin said last week. Review, okay? And it also messes with the bad among us, like Pastor Chris and Hitler, okay? (laughs) Again, that's Gavin. Chris, I love you. You're my friend. I would never say something like that about you. But we said it messes with both, right, the religious and the rebellious. That is what we termed the down. God coming down to us through the gospel. Then when we hear that gospel and we believe it, we delight in this wonderful life-changing news, we can't help but respond, and we respond by grace training us and changing us to become more like Jesus, and we respond by this gospel, this news, becoming the model for every single aspect of our lives. We call that the up, our response to God's down. Now, this morning, we're going to turn and look at a third core value in our church, and that is in. In is all about how we relate to one another, how we connect with one another. In is all about community, groups, family. And so I wondered this morning, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say church small group? What's the first thing that popped in your head? If I were to mention church community, what do you immediately think of? Let's say we run into each other after the message, and I'm like, oh, you should totally join our city group. What is your gut-level, honest reaction to that statement? Bible says, <laughs> yeah. So your gut-level, honest reaction, we all have different ideas of church community. For me, I grew up in a rather large church, and I'm so thankful for this church. The pastor just preached through books of the Bible, preached the scriptures faithfully. It was amazing. But the social functions, the the get-togethers in the church gym, that sort of stuff, they were kind of weird, okay? This pastor was like a Bible genius, but he was socially awkward, and on top of that, he looked like Pee Wee Herman, okay? And I'm not knocking him, okay? But like, he looked like Pee Wee Herman. Let me take it a step further. He played the accordion, okay? So we had a pastor who preached the Bible, looked like Pee Wee Herman, and played the accordion. So every year we had this big potluck. Hundreds of people are packing into the church gym. Mom and dad always made homemade ice cream that was delicious. And then we walk in, and up on the stage is our Pee Wee Herman pastor playing the accordion, okay? So it was a little bit awkward. When I thought of church group or church community, that's what I thought of. How about you? And while you have that idea in your head, here's what we're going to do this morning. I want us to take that idea and bring it to the gospel. Bring our idea of community, whether good or bad, fun or boring, happy or sad, hurtful or healing, and bring that to the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask this question How does the gospel shape and influence our community? Our groups. How does the gospel change us when it comes to community? And I want to look at three specific ways that the gospel influences and shapes our community. So listen in. Number one on your notes, here we go. Number one is this the God of the gospel is a community. The God of the gospel is a community. The gospel is good news about God, and that God, the holy, supreme, true God, who is revealed to us in the pages of the scriptures, he is a community. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible teaches that God is a trinity. He's one God, but revealed to us in three different persons, He's not three gods, just only one God, but he is forever existing as a community. You got God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus Christ, and God the Spirit, usually referred to simply as the Holy Spirit. They are all three God, and they have all three existed forever in community. The God of the gospel is a community. We get kind of a sneak peek, a glimpse into this community that is God in John chapter 17. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he prays like this in verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then later in verse 24, Jesus is praying. He says, I desire that they also. That'd be like all of us. Jesus is saying, I want them to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. When? When? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, before you and me, before Adam and Eve, before all the little fishies of the sea, God the Father was with God the Son, deflecting glory back and forth to one another, showing love and being loved by one another, even when it was only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who existed at all, forever, for all of eternity, as far back as far back can go, more than our three and a half pounds of brain can understand understand God has always been a community. He has always existed in community. So this means that God has never been isolated. God has never had the opportunity to be alone. There was no like get some me time to recharge my batteries for God. Isn't that crazy? I'm an introvert and I really like a good book, a quiet room, and a definite lack of company. God apparently has never had that experience. He lives in community. God is a community. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is creating humans, he says, let us, plural pronouns, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So this God that is community creates us in his community image. You could say it like this. We are made by a community for community. We are created by community, and we are created for community. So what what does all this Trinitarian theology, if you're a theology guy, you like that word, right? What does all this Trinitarian theology mean to us when the rubber hits the road in City Light Church? Number one, it means this. We can never quit community sorry. We, we can never quit community, and trust me, if I could, I probably would, okay? If I was the new person to City Light Church, and I was there just a year and a half ago walking through those doors for the very first time, if I was that guy and someone came up to me after the service and was like, oh, you should get in our city group. You'll love it. My gut level, like, honest reaction would be, um, thanks, but no thanks, I'm sure you mean well, sweetheart, but uh, I read my Bible and I pray every day. I got a great relationship with Jesus. Thanks, but no thanks. That is how I would have honestly responded. But when I look away from myself and my natural bent and my personality and, and I look up to God, I see that that God is a community, and he, as a community, created me in his image for community. He created me to be known and to know others, to be loved by and to love others, to learn from others. So even if I didn't want to be in community, even if I tried to quit community, I can't because I've got that image of God stuck down inside of me. I can't get rid of it. So at City Light, when we break down into smaller communities, we call them city groups, city groups. And hear this, we don't do city groups because they're the cool, hip, trendy way to grow a church. We don't do city groups because they're easy. We do city groups because they are our best attempt at helping as many people as possible to live in community just like God has always existed in community. We can't quit community, therefore we're giving it our best shot to be like God. Secondly, it also means this, in City Light, We're okay with big groups, but we aim for small groups. You know, we're okay with 700 people being in the room, hearing the gospel preached. We're we're cool with that, but we aim for, work for, and strive for small groups. The Trinity is a small community, only three members. The Trinity is a small group with a large impact, not a large group with a small impact. Therefore, among city lights, since we are created in his image, we aim not for large group, but we aim for small group. And we call those small groups city groups. And some of you are in a city group, and you're going, oh, no, it's not small. Don't go there. You you mean 50 people in my living room is small? I don't think so. Okay, I get that. That's why we also encourage city groups to break down even further into what we call huddles. Pockets of three or four people who know each other closely, pray for each other faithfully, and love each other dearly. We want small groups that have a large impact on your life and my life. We're not aiming for large groups that have a small impact. Are you guys tracking with that? You get that? Okay, so the God of the gospel is a community himself. Second thing, second way that the gospel shapes and influences community is this. The adoption of the gospel announces to us that we have been brought into a new family. The gospel announces that we were lost and orphaned on our own, but now we have been welcomed into, we've been found and adopted into a new family. A new family. I mean, All of us have families, right? Just by virtue of being human, you have a family. And some of us really like our families, and some of us don't. Some of us have fun families. Some have boring families. Some of us have great families. Some of us have not-so-great families. The gospel says to us, hey, you're in a new family. It's a new family because it's unlike what we've experienced in our family of origin, but it is still a family because it's united by blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ. So that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the Corinth church, the Corinth family, he says this, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul didn't didn't merely operate like a father to them. He said, I actually became a father to you in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Also throughout the New Testament whenever Paul and other people they write these letters to churches those churches are always addressed as what church brothers and sisters it's always written to the brothers and sisters at such and such place. So the gospel is saying, hey, we've been welcomed into a new family that has brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, and really loud uncles who say random things at meetings or family reunions, and these sweet great aunts that pray for us before we ever became a Christian. Right? We are adopted and brought into a new family. But in our culture, a lot of times this idea of family is really tricky It's difficult and it's painful because so many of us come from broken families. All of our families are imperfect, and some of our families were just downright painful. And so whenever we say, hey, you've been adopted into a new family, a lot of times the question is, what kind of family is this? Do I want to be in this family? Because I don't know if I want to be in a family. What, what family does the gospel bring us into? Let me give you four aspects of the family of the gospel. First of all, number one, we are a spiritual family. We are a spiritual family, and I want you to capitalize the S in spiritual, okay? I messed up on the notes. That's my bad. Capitalize the S, because what I'm saying is we are a holy, spiritual family, Okay? Here's what I mean. We hear the gospel from someone. Maybe it's a coworker or a teammate or a fellow student. They explain to us, hey, we are sinners, but Jesus died for our sin, and now Jesus lives in us, and we, we hear that gospel, and we respond. We say, yeah, that's for me. I believe that is true even for me. In that moment, we immediately become adopted into God's family. We are made sons of God, and God the Father sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That Spirit in Romans 18, just like Austin quoted earlier, that Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Adoption. Another name for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Adoption. So the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's reminding us, you are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And then in city group, when that guy talks for a really long time and goes over, the Spirit reminds you, he's your brother. And you're like, oh, he's an annoying brother. And the Spirit's like, but he's a brother, right? Or when that lady says something hurtful to you or doesn't invite you to this thing or that thing, the Spirit reminds you, she's your sister. All it takes to be in the family is faith in Jesus. He's your brother. She's your sister. That's what I mean by capital S, spiritual family. The spirit of adoption dwells in us and connects us together as brothers and sisters. Secondly, we're not only a spiritual family, but we're also an affectionate family. We are an affectionate family. Paul writes to a different church, this church family in Philippi, in Philippians 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, okay, so we know he's talking about family. Then listen to all these affectionate words Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. And then he still gives a directive stand firm, thus in the Lord. And then he goes back to it, My beloved. So much affection oozing out of that. And then later on in Philippians 1 verse 8, actually it's earlier in Philippians 1 verse 8, he writes this to the same church family. God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The gospel brings us into, welcomes us into an affectionate family. And so that's why when you walked in this morning, chances are you got a high-five or a hug or a shout-out or at least a smile. Most likely, you were probably made to feel a little bit uncomfortable by just how lovey we were towards you, right? And we don't do that because that's a good way to grow a church. We do that because we believe the gospel has announced to us, hey, you are in a loving, kind, fun, joyful, affectionate family. The gospel welcomes us into an affectionate family. So we kind of get affection around here, okay? Hugs are biblical, all right? You can give a hug now or after the service. Okay, number three. What else does this mean for us? What family are we in? We're in a family where brothers treat ladies like sisters. Let me say that like as a directive. Brothers treat ladies like sisters. Men, the way that we relate to the ladies in our church in our city groups, it matters. We live in a culture, men, where we are trained to be boys, to avoid responsibility and just date around like women are mere commodities, lies. All destructive. It's destructive to those precious ladies and men. It's destructive to you. So normally, this would be the time when I I start ranting and raving at you men to be better men, okay? But instead, I just want to tell a story to brag on some of my brothers, John and Derek. Earlier this week, one of our college interns accidentally dropped her keys, and they went in one of those huge sewer grates, right? It's like every person's worst nightmare, okay? So she's single, She doesn't have an extra set of keys on hand. She can't get into her car. She can't get into her house, and it's dark outside, okay? Not not a good situation. So what does she do? She calls some brothers, and what do they do? They get the keys out of the sewer. Look at this. Isn't that awesome? Okay, that right there, the dude, you can't see his face because he's in the sewer. That's Doc John, okay? He's an ER doctor, so he still had his doctor pants on, threw on some cowboy boots on the way over because you never know what you're going to find in the sewer, right? And they got the keys for him. My buddy Derek is holding him so he doesn't, like, die down in the sewer, okay? And here's a photo. They were both so proud. Bam, they got the keys. All right? Brothers, that's treating ladies like sisters. That is family shaped by the gospel. So can I just say, well done, brothers. Great job, men very well done. And all the sisters are like, ooh, what's their last name? I'll look them up on Facebook. (laughs) Can I get their digits? I mean, we're talking afterwards. Okay, here's the deal. Sisters, you got to let the brothers be brothers, okay? Let them call you. Let them ask you out, okay? Be sisters. Brothers, treat them like sisters, all right? That's our family. Last thing about our spiritual family is this. Number four, your physical family matters too. Your physical family matters too. Dads, earlier I quoted 1 Corinthians 4.15, where Paul wrote to this church and he said to them, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Dads, some of you are physical fathers to your children, but you are not yet spiritual fathers to your children. Might you make it your ambition to not only bear offspring, but to disciple those offspring to Jesus. Might you make it your life's passion to be able one day to look them in the eye and say, I became your father in Christ. Your physical family matters too. In fact, this spiritual family that we're a part of isn't meant to replace your physical family. Instead, this spiritual family that we are a part of is meant to equip and empower and renew your physical family. We exist for you. Your physical family matters too. So we've seen that the God of this gospel is a community, and then we've seen that the adoption papers, we get adoption papers from God saying, hey, you're welcomed into a new family. Third way that the gospel shapes our community is this. The honesty of the gospel Invites us to vulnerable community. The raw, unflinching honesty of the gospel invites us into real, vulnerable community. The gospel's just raw, isn't it? I mean, there's nothing like sugar coated or airbrushed about it. One of the main things, main tenets of the gospel is this God saves sinners. We're like, yeah, we love it, yay. And then we start thinking about it. We're like, okay, who are we in that sentence? Oh, we're the sinners. Okay, we are the mess-ups and the mishaps. We are the fallen and the failures. We are the screw-ups and the sinners, right? It's just raw. That's who we are, right? You might say it this way. We need the good news because we are the bad news. We need the good news because we are the bad news. The Bible says that we are bad in our behavior and we are bad in our hearts. So even if you're a church kid like me who knows how to behave well, the Bible's still going, oh, you're bad in your hearts. It says our hearts are deceitful, evil, unclean, dead. Take your pick. None of them are good, right? So maybe you could say like this, we are way worse than we would ever want to admit. That's just the honesty of the gospel. I just want to v- welcome all you visitors. So glad you're here. <laughs> okay so let me keep going you're like oh why did we come let me, i'm gonna get there okay the flip side of it is this god saves sinners god loves sinners yeah. romans 5 verse 8 says this but god shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us So how does God relate to us in our worse than we want to admit state? By loving us enough to send Christ to die for us. He doesn't leave us alone. Instead, he comes to us, loves us in that place enough to send Jesus to die for us. So yes, we are worse than we want to admit, but we are simultaneously loved more than we can ever imagine. Did you catch that? Now, I I need to be honest, I'm totally ripping all this good stuff. If you're reading good stuff in the last two minutes, it's because I stole it from pastor and author Tim Keller in his book, Meaning of Marriage. Here's his quote to get to him directly. He says, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That gospel right there sets us free to be vulnerable to one another, to be honest about what's going on inside, to be out there with our sins, to let people know the ugly secret thoughts of our hearts, to be open with our mess, because we know that even when we are worse than we want to admit, Jesus already loves us there. We, we can be transparent with one another because we know that Jesus already sees right through us and still loves us. That's the vulnerability the gospel creates. In my life, I kind of came to a head-on collision with this um, a few years ago. My wife and I were in a small group with some of our friends, and we go to the meeting, And it's like a cold winter night. And so on the way out, I just like grabbed this beanie cap that my wife made for me. Hey, can I just say, if they're not called beanie caps, someone correct me. I'm from Texas. I don't know what you wear in winter, okay? Stocking cap. cap. There we go. Thanks, Gavin. So I I put on this stocking cap that she made for me. Now, I got to be honest. I usually didn't wear that stocking cap that she made for me. I would just grab a cheap one from Walmart and wear that all the time. So we get to the group meeting, and we're having that kind of awkward conversation that every small group has before you really get into the Bible study, that sort of thing. And so in that, someone just goes, oh, cool hat, Doug. I'm like, yeah, Whitney made it for me. They're like, oh, what an awesome wife. She made that for you? I bet you just love to wear that. And I kind of hesitated, because I didn't usually wear it. And while I'm hesitating, my wife chimes in, no, he never really wears it. Okay. (laughs) Okay, it just got real. And everybody in the community picks up on this, like, dynamic between my wife and I. And so they start asking us questions to find out what's going on inside. By the end of it, my wife is in tears, talking about how I don't prize her, how I don't enjoy the gifts that she gives to me. And we find out that that little beanie cap was actually a small part of a much larger problem in our marriage, namely my prideful, arrogant self. I was outed. I I was exposed in front of all these people. And and I'm kind of freaking out. I'm going, oh, God, this isn't good. I mean, I'm a pastor. They're never going to follow me if they know we don't have a perfect marriage. Like, this is so bad. Oh, God, this is bad. But actually what happened is that community breathed a collective sigh of relief. Yes, they're not perfect. (laughs) And then after that, they engaged me. And they showed the love of Jesus to me in that time. You see, I thought that being exposed with all of my selfish, prideful arrogance would be the worst thing for me. But it turns out that that selfish, prideful arrogance was the worst thing for me. And being exposed was one of the best things for me. It gave life to me. That vulnerability created freedom to be found out. And so you're going, Oh, dude, please don't tell me that beanie caps are the biggest problem in your marriage. Oh, man. Okay, then let me tell you about my buddy who, he first confessed pornography, a long-term addiction to pornography to his wife, and then with her permission, confessed it to our group of about 30 people. What did he meet when he did that? The love and affection of Jesus. And he got set free within six months. I can tell you about a sweet lady who had spent time in prison and was too scared to share that with her city group. And then because the gospel gave her that courage, she shared that. And what did she meet? The love and affection of a community who welcomed and accepted her. And oh, some of you others have been in prison too. Kind of worked well for her. I could tell you about men who confessed to being abused as children. I could tell you about women who confessed to abusing alcohol and drugs. Now, we've run the gamut in our city groups. It's not all cute church people like me and my wife. We've been there in our city groups. So let me go back to my beanie cap story. If that group would have been, stocking cap, sorry. If that group would have been a religious group, they would have said about, and they probably would have said something like this to me in that time. Doug, uh, our suggestion to you is that you go ahead and wear the stocking cap. I mean, it's one of your wife's love languages, and it's going to put points into your love account with her. That's good advice, right? That, that's good advice, but it isn't good news to me in that time. Instead, what that community did is they engaged me with questions, questions that began to expose and reveal the real sinfulness and selfishness in my heart for how bad it really was. And then in that moment, they poured the love and affection of Jesus Christ on me. It was that love and that kindness of God that spurred me to take steps of repentance. So they, they saved the good advice for later on. Does that make sense? That is a vulnerable community that happens when we look to the gospel. So what might this mean for you in your city group, or you in your relationships, or your volunteer teams here in City Light? What does this mean for us? Number one, it means that we celebrate Messy. We celebrate Mess, right? Because mess means that we're finally getting honest about how bad we really are. And when we get honest about that, that is step number one to realizing just how loved we really are in Christ Jesus. We love it when the plate stops spinning and you lose control and they come crashing down on the floor and are in a big pile of mess. We celebrate that because you're on your journey to knowing the love of Jesus Christ. It also means, number two, that we celebrate growth. Okay, in, in our culture, our day and age, it's kind of popular to be messy. It's kind of cool to be all sorts of messed up, right? But it isn't so cool, it isn't so popular for someone to engage you in that mess and invite you to change. So it's like, okay, I know I just shared about that prideful arrogance in my marriage, but don't you dare ask me to change, You need to accept me for who I am, but don't ask me to change. That's usually how it goes. But we have to admit, the gospel doesn't only accept us where we are, but the gospel wants to transform us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. So in City Light, we celebrate mess and we celebrate growth. It's okay to be not okay, but it isn't okay to stay there. So in my group, they accepted me where I was, but those husbands in that group also invited me to change, to grow in my love for my wife. Number three, in our communities, it also means that good advice gets bumped to the back of the line behind good news, okay? Track with me. The good advice, which is good, just gets bumped back behind good news, So when a marriage in your city group opens up and shares about all the struggles going on in their marriage, most likely the first thing they need to hear is not, well, you guys need to have a regular date night. Like, come on, pay for the childcare, make it happen. Every single week you need to have a date night. That is good advice, really good advice, but it isn't good news for them. When a marriage in your city group opens up and shares all their struggles and puts it out there, most likely what they need to hear first is that God loves and sees them in Jesus Christ while they're still in that mess. That God doesn't desert them for all of their faults and failures, but he draws near to them while they are still sinning. Jesus Christ has died for them and sent the Holy Spirit to be with them. That is good news. Then after that comes the good advice. When a man confesses to ongoing sexual addiction, the first thing he needs isn't covenant eyes installed on his computer and on his phone. That is good. That is great. But the first thing he needs is probably some questions to help him understand just how sinful, evil, and ugly that sin is in his heart. And then in that place, giving the love and affection of Jesus Christ to him right there. And that kindness is what spurs him to take steps of repentance, such as installing covenant eyes on his computer and his phone. Good news comes first. Good advice gets bumped behind. There's a place in time for good advice in your city group, your huddle, your relationships, your friendships. It's just after the good news about Jesus Christ. The last thing that this means for us is, number four, city groups are messy too. They just are, you know? Like, I would love to say that our city groups are like the community you've always dreamed of. You're just going to walk in and meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and their sweet, well-behaved kids, and the house is going to be perfectly clean and a fresh-cooked meal on the table, and nobody has any problems, and there's no conflict, and everybody just gets along. But maybe not, you know? Maybe not. In fact, you may walk in and it might be kind of messy. And we're okay with that, right? Because we celebrate messy. The gospel allows us to be messy even as communities. To acknowledge that our groups themselves may have weaknesses of various kinds and degrees. And then as a community, they grow more and more like Jesus. Our city groups aren't perfect, but they do look to the perfect one. So let me close this way, City Light. I feel like As a church, we're kind of at a pivotal place, a unique time as a church. God has been awesome for our church, hasn't he? He's been so good. I mean, just brought people, boom. I mean, people are hearing the gospel. They're giving their lives to Christ. They're getting baptized. They're trying their best to connect, all that sort of stuff. We're at a unique place. Just look around and see how many people are here. But I think that the choice we have to make is this. Will we just be a crowd or will we be a community? Will we just be a bunch of fans, or will we be the family of Jesus Christ? I think that Jesus is inviting us and calling us into something greater, something better than just a crowd, something more than just being a fan, but being a community and a family, a God-shaped, family-knit, gospel-vulnerable family family of Jesus together. That's what I want to invite you into this morning. I'm not here going, hey, sign up for city groups. We really need to bump those numbers up. You really need to get in there. I'm the city group's pastor. Please, you know, like, no, I'm not going there, okay? All I'm saying is I want to invite you. Would you join me? Would you join me and city group leaders and premarital mentors and volunteer leaders and people who are setting the pace relationally? Would you join us for fighting for this kind of community? (laughs) May this be us. May we be a God-shaped, family-knit, gospel-vulnerable family together. May God do that in our midst. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, have your way among us. You are our Father. And you've adopted each of us into your family through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, right now in this moment, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you didn't leave us orphaned, you didn't leave us alone, you didn't leave us abandoned. You called us, you saved us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and you welcomed us into a new family. And Father, we're asking you, would you shape and form that family? Would you make us loving and kind and affectionate? Would you remind us that we are a spiritual family? And God, would you work in the men among us to relate as brothers to sisters? Would you work in the women among us to relate as sisters to the brothers? God, would you do mighty work in our physical families too? We need you in so many ways. Holy Spirit, would you come speak to each heart this morning? There's a thousand different needs and a thousand different questions in this room. God, you can answer and meet every single one of them. Would you do that now through your Holy Spirit?